0: It is always a pleasure to be back with you, and I'm trying not to make eye contact for a reason. It's always a lot more emotional coming back to, I am going to try my best to compose myself today, and once we get rolling, we should be okay. Um, But if I do pause, please bear with me. Um, It is a pleasure to be here preaching for you, Um, and I can't thank Brother French enough for what He's done for me and my Christian walk and in preaching the Word, I, both both of you. There's a lot of things that I want to say, but I'm not going to for sake of time and for sake of my emotional state. So, we'll, we'll go ahead and skip all of that. This morning, I want to talk to you about the, um, the, the subject of time and, and, more importantly, asking what time is it. And I'm going to start off by, and hopefully you guys have not heard this yet. I did get this from Brother French, but... It's an article written, um, it's called Life, a Story That is Told. It was written by Brother D. Bowman. It says, the psalmist said we we spend our days as a tale told in the psalm the 90th chapter. It's a fitting description of life, is it not? We do indeed spend our days as a tale that is told. There are several things about that that I like. Let me explain. First, let it be noted that life is a spending of time. We spend our time, he says, All of us are born into time. Time is what we're all about, and time is all that we have. Without time, we're nothing. We don't actually know how much time that we have to spend. We just know that we have some. In fact, we only know about the here and now. We can do little about the past. It is forever gone, and we can resolve for the future, but the here and now is all that we have. Spend is the operative word here. To spend spend means to expend. In fact, spend is taken from the Latin expedier to expend. So we expend our time, however much we have. That being so, it follows that we should do what we're going to do today. For the night comes when no man can work. When we spend all of our time. Secondly, please note that the expenditure of time is a personal choice. How we spend our time is our choice. We spend it. We can do whatever we want with it. There is always some consequences attached to that choice, but the choice is nonetheless ours. For instance, if we want to squander our time, we can make that choice. And conversely, if we want to apply ourselves to some worthwhile project, we can do that as well. In fact, worthwhile is comprised of worth and while worth having to do with the Value and while having to do with the time, a worthwhile project is one worth spending the time that it takes to do it. Lots of considerations figure into how we spend our time, but in the finality of things, how I spend my time is up to me. Thirdly, please note that we spend our time as a tale told. A tale is a story that is told, each of us writing his own story. That's not actually where we get the word history, but it's an easy connotation to remember that way. Every man has his story or a woman has her story. History is a narrative of events, a chronological record of what has happened. It is a story that covers a certain amount of time. It may be the story of a people, a project, or a person. But in the same, it's the same in each case. It's all about how time was spent. In our personal lives, we are writing our own history. A man will be judged by the story he has written I won't be judged by yours, although my story may have an effect on yours and yours on mine. But I will be judged by my story, the one I have written. We will stand before the judgment seat of Christ in Romans 14.10. And, and every one of us shall give account to himself of himself to God in Romans 14.12. So we need to be careful how we write. We need to see to it that our story is a good one. Finally. Notice that we spend our day as a tale that is told. A tale is a story told. When the tale is told, it's over. You can't go back and erase part of it or change some line that you don't like or blot out some chapter that is offensive or repugnant. Aren't we grateful? Aren't we grateful? While we can't erase anything, God can. That's what forgiveness is all about and why it is so important. When you've written your tale, told your story, it's over. Be ye therefore steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, inasmuch as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight Is good advice, then is it not? To labor to write well just makes good sense. There are a couple things I like to take out of that. Remember that we spend our time. It's our choice to spend our time. And each man will be judged by his story. And lastly, when you've written your tale, told your story. That's it. That's all there is to it. There's no more. So be careful. Brother D. Bowman says, be careful how you write. So, now we're going to get into the lesson. Um, The title of our lesson, of course, I said, is what time is it? Now, this is a question that all of us hear on a daily basis. I'm sure that my dad hears it regularly um, because he is a manager and I hear the same thing. Hey, Blake, what time can I go home? I want to leave early. What time can I go home? What time's lunch? What time are the checks going to be ready? What time do I have to be here? Can I get here five minutes later than that? Of course not. But this is something that we hear all the time. And, of course, our... Um, The answer to that question, what time is it, is going to vary quite a bit based on what the question is. In reality, and speaking in spiritual terms, the time is now. Now is the time that we have to live our lives because, as it was stated there, we can't do much for the past. We can prepare for the future, but we can't do much for both of them right now. Right here and now is what we have and what we have to work with. So now is the time that we have to live our lives. Now is the time that we have to accomplish the Lord's will. That's why all of us are here. This is how we're supposed to be living our lives. And we are living our lives to accomplish God's will. Now is the time that we have to do that. And now is the time that you have to prepare yourself for salvation, for eternity, for something that none of us can fathom. We're all judged by time. Like Dee like Bowman said, It's time is all that we have. So we can't fathom the brevity that eternity is and the length that it is because it is not judged by time. It never ends. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to spend eternity somewhere I don't want to be. And since the Bible devotes a great deal of attention to the subject of time, I'm going to take two separate um, verses. There are many more that you could go into, and I, I would encourage you to do so. The two that I'm going to go over are the ones that Jeff read, and we're going to start off in Second Corinthians the sixth chapter and verse two. It says, For he says, In a favorable time I have listened to you, and in and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time for salvation. Now is the time that we have to prepare ourselves for that eternal life, for what Christ has given us, what God has set up for us, a free gift that each and every person that obeys his word is guaranteed, a salvation in heaven, an eternity basking in the glory of God. Now is the accepted time for salvation. And all things are ready for you. Often we sing the song, all things are ready, come to the feast. And the, in, in Galatians, the fourth chapter, in verse 4, he says that the fullness of time has come. Christ came. Christ, God sent Christ down, sent his only son down, to die upon the cross for us, to set forth the new law. So that we could look forward to salvation. And the invitation was extended... The invitation has been extended, and the invitation is depicted in Matthew, the 22nd chapter, verses um, 1 through 10, as a, if you'll remember the story there, um, as a wedding feast is what it is. And what happened, if I studied this two or four hours ago, but um, if my memory serves me correctly, it was a wedding feast that the father had set up for the son, and he invited everybody, he invited so many, and no, yet no one showed up. It was all ready, everything was there and ready for them to come. And yet they didn't show up. So he sent his servants out and said, go get these people and tell them that, that all things are ready. It's time for the feast. Come here. And it says one went to his farm and another to his business, and the others treated these servants poorly and murdered them. And in verses 7 and 8, we see how the father, the king, in, the, in this story um, reacted. It says, The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Are you going to be worthy? Are you going to realize that now is the time to prepare yourself for the invitation that has been set? <laughs> All things are ready. The church has been established. In Matthew, the 16th chapter, and verse 18, it says, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The church has been established. I I have brethren that I can come and enjoy time with. I have someone to rejoice in the times that I have to rejoice with. And I have brethren that will cry with me and weep with me in those times of hardship. That's what this is about, brethren. That's what the church of God is about. It says, excuse me, the church has been established and it, the, the saved can be added to it, of course. In, in Acts, the second chapter of the day of Pentecost, verse 47, he says that it was added to day by day. And each and every one of us can be in that. 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, and verse 13. It says, For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body. Jews and Greeks, slaves are free, and we will be made to drink of one spirit. We are all going to be one. We're going to work together. We're going to be that one body of Christ. All things are ready. The gospel has been revealed the good news that christ came and died for each and every one of us and it was put in force in hebrews the ninth chapter in verse 16 and 17 it says for where a will is involved the death of one who made it must be established for a will takes effect only at death since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive so christ had to die for this to come forth for the gospel to be revealed to each and every one of us to establish the new covenant, the gospel is the power of God into salvation. Romans, the first chapter and verse sixteen. Most of you can, I'm sure, most of you can um, quote that. And it contains all things that pertain to life and godliness. In Second Peter, the first chapter and verse three. An ending, well, not quite, but getting close. To the response in second corinthians the 6th chapter now maybe the only time that you have my one of my favorite verses in the bible james the 4th chapter in verses 13 and 14 says come now you who say today or tomorrow we'll go we will go to such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit yet you do not know that tomorrow will bring, what tomorrow will bring what is your life for it is a mist that appears for a little time and vanishes. Now, maybe the only time that you have, I, most of you know that I still work at a Western store. I worked at the Western store here and now I work at one in Bakersfield and I steam hats and the machine that I have has a foot pedal and I hit that pedal and I'm telling you it can have the whole room full of steam within a matter of 10 seconds. If I just hold that thing down while I'm steaming something and this verse makes me think about that because I'm not kidding you, I can't see my hand, a foot in front of my face when I've got that steam rolling. But the minute that I let off that foot pedal and it stopped making that steam or that vapor, it doesn't take hardly any time for that to be gone. That's what's being said here in the book of James. Your life is like a mist. It's like a vapor that is here now and gone the next second. Realize that. There is no promise of tomorrow and no going back to yesterday. Psalm the 103rd chapter, verses 15 and 16 says, As for now, his days are like grass, as the flower of the field, so so he flourishes. The wind passes over it, and it is gone. And in its place, remembers it no more. You know, I think about, you know, out here, growing up as a kid, you got dandelions, right? And they start off as a little green stem with a nice little... uh, Yellow flower on them. But then when they go, I, of course, I researched this, so I'm not telling you anything that that's untrue. But when it goes into its seed state, when it wants to scatter and make more dandelions, it turns into a little poof ball, right? And I don't know a child alive that doesn't go pick those things and blow on them, right? Now I'm old and chunky, and I just kick them because I won't bend over and pick them up. But... <laughs> um, but that's what I think about here in, in Psalm 103 chapter. The wind passes over and it's it; it's gone. It's gone. It's not there anymore, and its place remembers it no more because that little stem that was there is going to shrivel up and die, and the grass is not going to care that it was there. Just like this pulpit's not going to care that I was here when I'm gone. The dirt outside is not going to care. The only thing that's going to matter is where I have set myself with God. The brevity and uncertainty of life are ever. Present realities that must be acknowledged by every individual. That's us. We need to realize the brevity and uncertainty of life. We may not make it out of this building. I know that you hear that all the time, but do you really think about the fact that that is true? Life happens, strange things happen. You know, I. Life is so precious, and we should be putting our best foot forward as Christians in everything that we do. And not to get too far off on a tangent, I was watching something on, on Facebook the other day. I, I uh, follow a lot of things in the cattle industry, and there's an auctioneer, actually, and he's on the mic. And he's, you know, they usually open up with a couple jokes, and they, you know, say a couple things, and they get right into their, you know, their role. But this man said, you know, I, he said, I want to tell you guys one thing. And he goes... Through a series of talking about you need to get back to God and get back to your country. And that's why so many things are spread apart in this country and we're so divided in all these different things. And there was actually some people talking. Well, he was, you know, if you've ever been to an auction, there's people chatting all over the place. And he actually grabs the mic and says, y'all be quiet. Everybody sit down and be quiet because I'm telling you something you need to know. And... That's pretty powerful, but the way he ends it, he says, that's coming from a, I can't remember what he said, I think 67-year-old auctioneer who just recovered from leukemia. And he said, I told myself that from that point on, whenever I had this microphone, I would never not tell you to get back to God. That's how we should be living our lives. We should be living our lives in such a way that that's what we are putting our foot forward. And that is who we are to be in everything that we do. That we realize now is the time that we have to act. Now is the time that we have to set an example for every single person that you walk out and meet in this world. Because guess what? That might, they, you might be the only piece of Christ that they ever see. Make it a good one. Make it a good one. Romans, the 13th chapter, verses 11 through 14 says, besides this, you know, the time that the hour has come for you to know, to wake from sleep for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed the night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immoralities and sensualities, not in quarreling or jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. You guys weren't kidding about it being hot. I guess I brought it with me. So, in verse 11, it says, now is the time that we have to awake from sin. And, of course, this is not talking about a natural sleep or the sleep of death that we see often through the Bible. Uh, But it's talking about a moral sleep. And it doesn't take you long to look at this world out in the world that we live in, in in your jobs, in school, and all these different things that you you partake in. It doesn't take you long to realize that this world is in a moral sleep. That the United States is in a moral sleep. That California, that Ventura County, that Port Wyneme is in a moral sleep. Look at the way that people talk and dress and walk and converse to one another. It doesn't take long. But in Romans the 13th chapter he says, "Now is the time for us to awake out of that moral sleep. We need to get back to God. And there is a good reason to awake. The night is far spent and the day is at hand. Right now, Right now is all that we have and all that we can control is what we're doing in this very moment. In verse 12, now is the time to lay aside all sin. Or to, the King James Version says, cast off sin. And to cast off means to take off or to remove his clothing. And we see it um, used literally in acts the seventh chapter verses in, in right around verse fifty, I think between fifty and, and fifty eight maybe um, where uh, they 're talking about the stoning of Stephen, they literally cast him out. he was thrown out of the city and killed, and it 's used of a in a figurative sense of sin and sinfulness when we 're talking about putting on the new man in Colossians the third chapter and verse eight, put off anger wrath malice malice blasphemy and filthy language. Put that off. Cast that off. Get that out of your life. Now is the time that you have to lay aside all of these things and get them out of your life. In First Peter 2 and verse 1, lay aside all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and evil speaking. These are the works of darkness that they're talking about in Romans the 13th chapter. Now is the time to lay aside all filthiness and overflow or abundance of wickedness in James, the first chapter in verse 21. It says, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. But I love how it ends that verse. Put all these things away, but then what does it say in the the latter part of James 21? Receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Get rid of the old man, get him out of the way, and receive God's word. So that it will save your soul, don't know where it is, but I, fear, I, I don't fear the man that, that can destroy flesh and bone, but I fear the Lord because he can destroy my soul. Put off or cast off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceits of the flesh, in Ephesians the fourth chapter and verse 22. To put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life that is corrupt through deceitful desires. When you grow up with a, a dad like John French, there's one, there's a lot of things that are ingrained in your brain, but there's one saying that he says here all the time that is ingrained in your brain very deeply. And that's dad's saying, as me and Jordan would call it, it's dad's saying. Put off deceits because it says, You're corrupt through your deceitful desires. Dad always says, and you've heard it. I know all of you have heard it. If you want a recipe for disaster, do what comes naturally. How true is that? Because this physical man doesn't want to be here. Doesn't want to go do the works of God. He wants to do whatever he wants. He wants to be fishing. He wants to be hunting. He wants to do all these different things. He wants to pursue the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. That's what the physical man wants to do. But we're called every day to sacrifice that. That's not who I am. I'm doing the works of Christ, and now is the time that I have to live my life in that way. Going back to Romans, the 13th chapter. Verse 12, the night is far gone, the day is at hand, so let us cast off the works of darkness. The deeds of darkness must stop. This refers to a spiritual darkness, of course, and I don't think that's telling you anything that you don't know. This is to be done or should have been done at your conversion, because guess what? Remember, put off concerning the former conduct of that old man who you used to be? When you obeyed the gospel, that's what you signed up to do. You signed up to be a new man. You signed up to be a worker of Christ, to do God's will, and I am so thankful that you did. And if you haven't, I hope that you will study. But it should have been done at your conversion. This is why you obeyed, and this is why you you got that sin out of your life, that old man you put to death. He's no longer there. And in Romans, the 6th chapter, verses 1 and 2, verse 1 says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? This question is literally asked. Are we to continue in sin so that the grace of God can do what it is set forth to do and and let that grace spread so that he can forgive us? Read verse 2. By no means... He says that with an exclamation point. By no means are you to do this. How can we who died to sin still live in it? One cannot continue in sin and be saved eternally. We can't put off that old man and obey God and, and be baptized and, and say that we're a Christian and still continue in sin. Now, I'm not saying that any of us are perfect, but we can't be, that cannot be our attitude towards it. Now is the time to put your life on God's side. In in the second part of of verse 12 it says, "And put on the armor of light." And of course, this is I'm sure that many of you will realize that this is an allusion to the spiritual garb a Christian is to wear. Ephesians 6 chapter verses 13 through 17. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and his shoes to your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances. Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit which is the Word of God. These are the things that we are to put on as Christians. This is the armor that we are to wear daily. This is what we signed up for, again, as as a Christian. You signed up to take on the battle that is living a Christian life and a battle that is living God's Word and His commandments daily because there's not a, a person in here that will tell me that it's easy because it's not. In the workplace, you deal with so much negativity, and you deal with all these things that can creep in your life and can make make you sway the wrong way. But he says in Ephesians, the sixth chapter, take up all these things. And the one, of course, that sticks out to me is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Implant that in your mind, and let that be your sword that you fight with every single day. The Christian must shed evil and take up the battle of God. You know, this is who we signed up to be. We're Christians first and foremost. We are to take up the battle of God daily. And when you think about it, it's not really that hard to make that decision. Because I look at it as God, because of what you've done for me, I am happy to fight for you. I am so happy to put on the breastplate and to to grab my sword and to put on my helmet and go out every single day and fight for you. I am so happy to do that because of what you have done for me. You have extended grace. You have given me your son. You have given me so much. You've given me the promise of an eternal life in heaven with you. He must be willing to endure hardship. The, the, the Christian soldier must be willing to endure hardship as a good soldier of Christ. 2 Corinthians 2, 3, and 4. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ. No soldier gets entangled in a civilian pursuit since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Our aim. We, don't, we shouldn't get involved in these physical and and lustful types of... Things in the world that we experience every single day because civilian things don't, don't bother us. Because our aim is to please the one who enlisted us. Our aim is to please God each and every single day of our lives. You know, I think about as, as a good Christian soldier, I should, should say sailor because we're in a Navy town, right, Frank? Um, you know, and I think about my brother, you know, a kid. Like everybody, everybody here knows Trevor. He's a kid. Not anymore. But when he signed up, Blake, I signed up for the Navy. You signed up for the Navy? It's been great for him. But, you know, I, I think about what he has, has done, and, and he doesn't, he, he's, he's a Navy man. That's what he cares. That's what he does. That's his job. That is who he is. Hopefully, he's a Christian first before that. But yet, I think about um, the servicemen and women. Brother Monaco, And I'm sure there's many others in here that I don't know of. But, you know, I, my, you guys know my mother-in-law, Dana. Dana is very, very adamant about um, military people. Uh, she had, I mean, her whole mother's side of her whole family was all Navy guys. But anyhow, there's not a time when she walks by somebody that, doesn't, that has a shirt on that says, you know, Vietnam veteran or World War II veteran or whatever it may be or a hat or something like that. She will always walk over to them. Always walk over and shake their hand and say thank you, thank you for your service. And <clears throat> and you know what the 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 beautiful thing about that is ninety percent of those that was a, a you know usually an older era so ninety percent of those gentlemen usually say it was my pleasure. She did that to. Um, a man that was my age, at, we were, where were we, San Diego Zoo, Ter? and he had no legs. And in the back of his wheelchair said, you know, Operation Iraqi Freedom. And those are the words that he said. It was my pleasure. You think about how scared you must be, because I have no idea. You can't think about how scared you must be to go into those situations. To... You know, I mean, World War II Vietnam, kids, man, 18 years old, baby, heading over to fight a war. That's tough. It's got to be tough. Like I said, I have no idea. But when you say thank, thank you for your service, and they say it was my pleasure to fight for you, a person I don't even know. Think about it this way. That should be the exact attitude that we have fighting the daily battle that we do for God. It was my pleasure. What you've done for me, you sent your only son down to take upon my sins, and not just mine, but yours, and not just ours, but theirs. You gladly took that on and died for me. It is my pleasure to fight for you every day. We are to fight the good fight of faith. And now is the time that we have to walk properly in verse 13. The conduct of a Christian is to be decent and appropriate to his name and calling. We are called a Christian because we are a Christian. We should act as such. In Ephesians 5, chapter, verses 15 through 17, it says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. We are to walk carefully or circumspectly and wisely. We are to redeem the time. We are to make the best use of the time that we have been given, that we have been blessed with, because you're not promised that next moment. I'm not promised to finish this lesson. We're not promised to leave this building. Make the best use of the time that you have right now. And in First Timothy, the third chapter, we're talking about qualifications for elders and deacons there. But Paul says, and I'm going to kind of paraphrase here, I hope to see you soon, but if I delay, here is the way that you are to conduct yourselves. This is the way you are to behave, and there's a proper way for one to conduct himself um, when he is a member of the house of God. The proper Christian life is described in verse 13 of Romans 13. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immoralities and sensualities, not in quarreling and jealousy. Walk as in the daytime. Light exposes all activities. You don't see a whole lot of crime happening during the day because guess what? You can look out there and see everybody. You know, you think about walking down the street and there's hedges all down down the road here on the way to Ron's house, right, Ron? And... In the daytime, I'm not too worried about it because if somebody decides to slink around there or whatever, I'm going to see some movement or whatever. But if it's dark outside, there's always that uncertainty. So we are to walk as in the daytime that all of our activities can be seen because they can because God knows exactly what you're doing and God knows your heart. We need to stay away from those dark things that he talks about in, in Romans 13, the, the things that oppose the right way to walk. In verse 13, revelry and drunkenness, loud and noisy behavior, lewdness, or chambering as it read in the King James Version from Jeff this morning. Unchaste conduct with the opposite sex, lust, strife, and envy. We are to stay away from those things. This is the proper life of a Christian. In verse 14... Now is the time to put on Christ. One clothes himself in Christ at baptism. Galatians, the third chapter, verse 27, puts it very black and white. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. You have put him on. He, as was discussed in class, he is in you. And what is in you is what you should be reflecting as you walk your daily walk. In Romans, the sixth chapter, and verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Brother French probably doesn't remember this. Well, he probably does. That verse is so very near and dear to my heart because I was right next door. Now, see, I can't say this at other congregations. I was right next door in an office with Brother French, and we were studying. And this came up. I can't remember what we were studying, but this came up. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. Do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? I did not know. The first four four words of that, do you not know that you have put on Christ in baptism? one also puts on Christ in a righteous living. In 1 Peter the 2nd chapter and verse 21 it says for for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. A Christian life is to follow the steps of Christ. A Christian life should mirror what Christ's life looked like. Now of course, and I wrote an article about this not long ago, but he lived perfectly and that should be our attitude. Our attitude should not be, well, you know, I'm gonna, I guess I'm going to do my best, but we're gonna, I'm going to mess up today. It's not a big deal. That should not be your attitude. Your attitude should go out and be that my life is to mirror exactly what Christ's life looks like. I am supposed to go out and live this life for God every second of every moment of my life. And I am going to do it perfectly. Are we going to attain that? Probably not. But is it impossible? No. Christ did it. That should be our attitude. Our attitude should be to live a life that mirrors that of Christ. A Christian must be and do all that Christ requires. And that's not telling you anything that you don't know. So, in asking the question again, what time is it? That time is now. The time is now for us to prepare ourselves for salvation, to live a life for God, to be an example and to be an influence on every single person we come in contact with. Now is that time. And now is the time to obey if you have not done it. Now is the time to set your life straight with God if it is not straight. And I will end with this. When Jesus returns... Will you be glad or will you dread that day? When you answer this question, it will tell you about the spiritual condition that you're in. If you answer honestly. Think about how you feel about that. Are you going to be that person that's, oh, just, give me, just give me ten more minutes. Just, just give me, I just need a little bit more time. I just, I just need to go to the building real quick and you're not going to have that time. Now is that time. Now is the time that we have, and now is the only time that we have to prepare ourselves for that eternal life that we get to look forward to because of what God has done for us. So, if you do not know Christ, or if you need to set your life straight with God, now is the time, and we will do anything that we can to help you in that walk if you'll come forward as we stand and sing. Jordan? I am resolved.